When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Oh, he's on mute. Oh, God, he's on. You're, you're on mute. Granddad, oh, you're on mute. You're on. Oh, here we go. Oh, is that, is that? Has that sort of penguin thing always been there since the start of this podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Am I hallucinating? What's going on? Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given and a cracking episode because 2022, a new year, but test cricket is still as brilliant as it has always been. Not just a wonderful England versus Australia game, but also a couple of upsets and a couple of wonderful test matches elsewhere around the world. And I am joined far too early in the morning by Daniel Norcross, who has come dressed once again as E.T. on the front of the bike at the end of the film with his hood up. Although I don't remember E.T. having a bunch of AirPods in and smoking a cigarette. But apart from that, almost identical and Stephen Finn, who is still down under in Sydney at the moment before he makes his way to Hobart. It's good to see you both. Before we get into the cricket, there's a few things that we need to discuss that are far more important than cricket will ever be. If you follow Zero Ducks Pod on Twitter, you may have seen a couple of photos going around on social media this week. First things first, Finney, why have you been nicknamed the Love Doctor? Um, I think you find it's actually the Love God. Um, Sorry, I'm, I'm far more, far more important than a doctor. Um, I'm actually God. When it oh comes yeah, to during, love. A pan, during a pandemic, that's really good. Let's go. Oh, well done. Upset the entire NHS. The NHS. We can't afford to lose that's listeners, Finny. Yeah, God gave us the pandemic. The doctors are trying to get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. But, um, no, I. I um I did a segment on ABC Radio at lunchtime where callers could call me up and chat about stuff and I did it for the final two days of the test match and on the, the fourth day of the test people rang me up and it was just cricket questions or cricket things and discussions that we spoke about over the course of the lunch break and then I um, made a plea at the back end of that that the following day when I went back to do it that anyone could call me about anything they wanted from relationships to love to whatever whatever they wanted to chat about. The more controversial, the better. Give me a shout. And I'd chat it through with them. And then the kind folk at ABC uh, put together a montage of me using the words love God and, and managed to chop it all together to make it sound as though I was calling myself the love God and then tweeted that picture. <laughs> if you haven't seen the picture, the way I described it was, 
Finney looks like Ron Burgundy's younger brother who sells pot to kids in the high school car park is the best way that I can describe him. He's got a flowing mane. He looks sort of like, you know, like sort of um, Starsky and Hutch extra that you'd see wander past in the background is the best way to describe it. Did you get any calls the next day? Yeah, I got I got a few good ones. None about love, unfortunately, but um, a few about cricket, a couple about horse racing. Yeah, we had some interesting ones in there, but nothing on love yet. So there's, um, I think I might be doing it during the Hobart Test match, and, and that might be a more awakened hour in the UK. So if anyone's listening, give me a shout. Yeah, I, well, I, I might very well. I might even throw my hat in the ring. Ask, ask the old question. I mean, personally, I thought the picture of you looked more like. An extremely sleazy lounge lizard, six-year-old girl's unicorn, which if you can imagine such a thing. And <laughs> I, I also think that, that we should kick off with a couple of our own problems. I mean, and, and it's literally anything, is it? Yeah, anything you want. I'll, um, I'll talk it through with you and we'll, we'll find a solution. It might right. not be what you want to hear, but, but I'll give you a solution. He'll give you, he, you know, mm. you ask him a question, he'll give you an honest answer, Norcross. Do you want to ask him about that rash? Well, I might. <laughs> I've actually got more issues with my dishwasher at the moment. I okay. don't know. Are you, are you any good on white goods? Well, I'll, I'll give it a go. So the thing is, with the, with the dishwasher I've got, right, is that the, um, you know, the bit at the bottom where you, where you put the plates in, it, the, um, it keeps on falling over, right? So I can't put in my... Um, my bowls without them just sort of collapsing in on themselves. Do I buy a whole new dishwasher or do I hunt high and low for specific parts, pay for someone to come into my house during a pandemic and fit them? Well, I mean, either way, I suppose I've got to get it fitted. What, what do I do? And also the seal um, is broken. Can I fit that myself or do I have to get a man in or a woman indeed for that matter? My advice to you would be that you've been boasting on the WhatsApp group about how rich you are all week. So just go and buy a fucking new one. You <laughs> that, that is actually That's all I want true. to hear. For, for our listeners, Norcross has Simple. been, uh, been uh, working for BT Sport all this week. And he's and uh, it's, it sounds like they're paying him in, in basically just buckets full of cash by the sound of things. I can, get my, I can get my own mobility scooter now. I think I can probably get a four-speed one as well with a reverse gear. Your I'm own, rather than in. rather than tipping people out of their their one, like you have. That's the last correct. Few yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, well, there's yeah, there's there's a, there's a few people go past in quite slow mobility scooters that I've you know I've um, had to menace in order I've... to be able to get to the newsagent without getting too wet. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got some dishwasher help I, I need actually from Finney actually now that we've got him here now that we've got access to the love god um, because. First of all, Dan's point is very true. I've, I've said it many a time. It, I swear whoever designs dishwashers has never seen a bowl in their life. They, the, the slots don't fit any bit of any bit of crockery I've ever seen before in my life. They're too, they're too close to each other. They're too narrow. Um, but that's not my complaint. Uh, my complaint is that my future wife and much better half Pippa, who is better than me in every single way except one, she massively overloads the dishwasher and then what happens is you get sort of plates that have a little corner that's still dirty because they didn't get yeah. any access to the water. Um, and I, I've, I've sort of passively aggressively mentioned it a few times, but she's not improved. And I don't want to make too big a deal about it, Finney, because then she'll stop loading the dishwasher altogether and then I have to do it. And also, I don't want to push her away because I'm very lucky to have her and she's far better than me in every way. I mean, you guys have met mm. her, you understand. 
So, oh, so what yeah, do I do, yeah. Finny? Do I just, in the middle of the night, sneak out and go and wash the plates properly? Or do I just accept dirty corners of my plates for the rest of my life? Look, communication is the key to good relationships. And I find that if you're going to embark upon a lifelong communion with someone, I think it's better that at this early juncture of the um of the relationship that you that you air these things and you speak about it and, and you um let her know your frustrations uh, because otherwise you're going to end up smoking cigarettes with no hair sat on the sofa in dirty pants uh like well, like one of our friends i'm not wearing any pants as it happens but, <laughs> <laughs> but it's i mean i think you make a very strong point finney because cricket lover mark Steele and comedian great man that he is uh, the last time he got divorced, his wife cited two things on the divorce papers. One was he was overly obsessed with sport, which I suppose is just about fair. And the other one was he was terrible at stacking the dishwasher, quite genuinely. So, you know, it is a bloody perilous situation to find yeah. yourself in. So you've well, got to be very careful. Here. Well, I'm glad I've got the love God on speed dial if I need him. Please don't call me. <laughs> well if you've got any questions for um for the love god tweet us at zero ducks pod or send us a message on instagram um and we'll try and put out any small fires in your life uh one day at a time basically but thank you for your service love god that was really useful uh, another thing that i want to move on to is a message that uh stephen finn aka the love god received on instagram somebody slid into the love god's dms and messaged him this the other day great work on the commentary I hope you get to play for a good time yet, but TMS would be mad not to get you full time. Just don't do Norcross out of a job. He's all right and close to needing the money for adult nappies. Go well. Um, Norcross, your, your response to, mm. to, this, to this man? Well, I'm, I'm touched, actually. I think Norcross is all right is probably the best review I've had in the 12 years on and off that I've been doing cricket commentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't need to worry about the adult nappies as I alluded to earlier, I'm actually drowning in a mountain of cash. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is a wild exaggeration, incidentally, but it's enough for adult nappies. Have you seen the, the cost of them? They're one of the few things that actually go down in price, I think, because there's a, I don't know why, presumably there's just a lot of them about. And also, unless Finney moves into the world of ball by ball, which they won't do because, you know, ball by ball is an extremely boring thing for people to do. What they want to do is, is get in giving love advice and um, and talking tediously about tactics. So he'll be sitting on the other side of the fence from me. I don't mind that. And I, I look forward to many, many fruitful years of him talking too much while I try to describe what's actually happening in the ball. It could be the start of a beautiful relationship, Finney. Imagine that. Years and years and years and years of working alongside Daniel Norcross. It's it's exciting, must be. We sure he's got we sure he's got that long left. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I'm not sure at all the way I feel this morning. Bloody hell fire. No. I think I've just seen him like his second cigarette of the podcast. We've only been on for five minutes. So yeah, well, you I'm, might be I'm right. I'm in the wrong time zone. I'm supposed to be just going to bed now. This is when I'm supposed to be. It's eight o'clock in the morning. This is when I'm rough. Well, actually, it's not because the bloody test match we've just had is the longest test match there's ever been. It started half an hour early on four of the five days and it ended an hour later on four of the five days and then an hour and a half later on the last bloody day. But anyway, normally get back about now, normally go straight to bed. And instead, I'm sitting here with the love god who's in some delicious looking lounge 
with an incredibly smug grin on his face and presumably a really delicious cocktail in his hand. Bastard. Yeah, what is the plan this evening, Finney and Sydney? I think I'm just going to have a, have a very chilled one. You're right, Dan. The test match was so bloody long. Like, I got to the end of the day and you're just on autopilot with your eyes popping out of your head because I am also whoring myself out slightly by working for both the BBC and the ABC. It means that I end up talking for a majority of the day about cricket um, and then doing my 40 a minute love God stint at lunchtime means that I don't shut up all day. So it's just nice to sit in some peace and quiet for a little while. It's not easy being the love God. People don't understand that. No, there's an oracle of knowledge inside this head and it needs to be tapped into. And if people don't continue to tap into it, they're going to fucking miss out. <laughs> this it's, is too surreal for words. I don't know what's happening. Is so, this, am I still asleep? What's imagine, going on? Imagine if like you'd never listened to this podcast before and you're a big cricket fan and your mate who listens goes, oh, if you like cricket, you listen to Zero Ducks Given. And we're, what are we, 15 minutes in? And all we've done so far is talk about dishwashers and call Finney the love god. Anyway, let's let's get into the cricket, because if you have just joined us and you're a cricket fan, I promise we do occasionally talk about cricket. Let's talk about the longest test match in the world. A hell of a test match, though, it has to be said. I mean, look, if I was going to put a negative spin on this, I'd say it's a bit, it's a bit depressing how excited we all are and how pleased we are that England drew a test match and aren't going to lose 5-0. However, it was a wonderful advert for test cricket. Um, and England showed a lot of grit, a lot of character. The build-up to the test match was chaos with coaches and managers and all sorts falling like flies as well behind the scenes and rumours of all the players having to give each other throwdowns like club cricket all over again. So they did show a lot, a lot of character. And it was exciting. Jimmy Anderson came out to bat the last over of the test against Steve Smith. And hung on with, you know, 11 hungry Australians waiting for him to pop the ball up in the air. I was a bit disappointed that Jimmy Anderson didn't try and reverse sweep all six deliveries or go full Shannon Gabriel and try and just mow one out of the ground. But sadly, he didn't. Why did he do that? Why, Why? did he do that? <laughs> Why did he do that? But it was a wonderful advert for the game. And England did show a lot of character. Let's let's get straight into it. Um, first of all. I want to start talking about uh, one man, and I probably should start with Kawaja, but as a biased Englishman, I want to talk about Mark Wood, who might be the most likable England cricketer in recent memory. He absolutely steams in. He was bowling at 90 miles an hour plus, no matter how deep in the day, no matter how many overs he bowled. He then spanked Pat Cummins for three sixes as well. And he plays with a smile on his face. And he's an absolute joy to watch. And I feel like if the team had uh, uh, 11 guys with the character of Mark Wood, maybe not the batting, but the character of Mark Wood, um, I don't think the team would do too badly at all. Uh, Finney, as a fast bowler, and you know the sort of stress it puts on the body, especially as a fast bowler who also, like you, likes to fall over all the time, it's unbelievable how consistent his pace is. Yeah, since he's changed his run-up, isn't it? But his pace is just been up the entire time. He, I think he averaged over 90 miles an hour consistently across the day in this test match. Um, and yeah, the way that he plays his cricket and the manner in which he plays it means that he's a very, very likeable lad. He's been pretty unfortunate this series, I think, to well, get no rest whilst he's, um, when the team's been batting because the team's been bowled out so quickly. Um, and he's been unlucky in, when he has bowled. He's beat the edge a lot. He's challenged the Australians. I think he's actually... 
it takes a lot to win over the Australian public here um, because they can be quite abrasive, especially when they're winning and they're on top. But he's one of the few people in this England team at the moment who the Australians are really enjoying watching. Um, one of the people that they love speaking about the most. And I think that that speaks volumes for someone when you come down to Australia and that happens to you. Yeah, he's, he's a slightly fascinating character, Norcross, isn't he? Because he's... He's not your typical looking fast bowler, you know. He's 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 sort of a bit of a whippet, really. Teetotal, which is unheard of in cricketing circles. By all accounts, just a very lovely, funny, amiable bloke. Uh, he's a joy to watch. He's absolutely wonderful. He's a lovely bloke in every way. He's actually the biggest threat to Finney being on Test Match Bashel for the rest of his life because the moment he retires, he's gonna he's absolutely gonna storm the Citadel of Broadcasting. He's a wonderful human being. But I've got an issue. Oh, an issue I've got to get off my chest, and it was an issue that Mark Butcher and uh, Steve Harmison and I were utterly perplexed by, which is that as Australia were racking up an enormous number of runs, typically on that fourth day with a big lead, I mean, I'm talking well after the fourth wicket had gone down during the Kawaja Green partnership, right at the back end, Wood bowled his longest spell. He bowled a five-over spell when they led by 340-odd and the declaration was just about to happen. And none of us could work it out. It's like, don't we think we need this guy? There was talk that he, he was going to struggle to play back-to-back -back test matches. There's one game left. He's the one strike bowler of menace and pace that England have got out there. And they bowled him for a five-over spell. And we, we've already got broken thumbs, broken fingers, broken side muscles. Walking wounded, no coaches. They're about to go into the last game. And they, are they trying to break him as well? I mean, I know Jimmy wasn't going to bowl and Stuart Broad wasn't going to bowl because, you know, they very wisely are concerned for the longevity of their careers. But Jack Leach wasn't bowling. It was absolute. It was crazy, I thought. But, but really, I mean, he's, he's exceedingly unlucky. I don't know whether in part that is luck or whether it's the length he's bowling or whether it's just too quick sometimes to get edges. He's got a number on Labashane, which is interesting, isn't it? Because no one else has managed to have it. He doesn't on Steve Smith, whose numbers against extreme pace are unusually high, but against Labashane he does. And he's a total gem. And I just thought, you know, what on earth are they doing bowling him on that fourth day in this longest of test matches? He bowled spell after spell at 90 miles an hour. And I thought, It'll be just absolutely cap this bloody tour if he pulls a hamstring or busts his knee at this point. Jeez Louise, I mean, the, the catalogue of madness that's been going on in this tour is too much for me to cope with, especially this time of the day. It, it was it was absolutely bizarre, you're right. It should have been Leach, Root and Milan bowling at that point and basically just looking forward to the declaration. Um, yeah, it was, it was very, very strange because Mark Wood needs to be protected at all costs, let's be honest. Um, but another very, very popular man in the team that you touched on there, and it was so pleasing to do well, was the one and only Mr. Jack Leach. Now, not only did he bowl very well in the second innings, but much more importantly, he stopped during the game at one point. He was fielding down on the boundary, and he signed a bald man's head. And, I mean, as if you couldn't love Jack Leach anymore, an absolutely wonderful moment where he signed a bald man's head. Um, he really struggled, obviously, first test of the Ashes series, he got, uh, he got attacked by the Australian batsman. They, they got stuck into his bowling. And he came up really well in that second innings. He took four for, um, and as you say, perhaps if they hadn't bowled Mark Wood for five overs, he would have walked off there with a, with a five for as well. 
But really pleased to see him. He was also on a hat trick at the end, wasn't he? Thanks, thanks, incidentally, to a a, a, a what is destined to be forgotten brilliant catch by Ollie Pope. I mean, I'm not sure that'll be replayed again because there was such kerfuffle. But that was a fantastic catch by a stand-in keeper. And he's going to be left on two in two because he's not on a hat trick. Can I be absolutely clear about this? The next ball he bowls, if he takes a wicket with it, it is not a hat trick. I'm not having it. I just want to preempt this conversation right now. What you say, so it's, it's, if it's in a new game, you don't count it's it. It's not a fucking hat trick. No, you can't have a hat trick across matches. That's insane. You can have it within the match. You can't have it across matches. Jared Kimber's dad, the great Crick Info writer, not, not Jared Kimber's dad, Jared Kimber, of course, he has claimed that he has a hat trick across two matches in grade cricket. In the semi final, he took two wickets in the last two with his last two balls and then one first ball of the final. It is not a hat trick. You can't, it's, it, it isn't a hat trick. It, 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 it cannot happen. Finney, this is correct, is it not? Yes, yeah, I would, um, I would say it can't really constitute a hat trick. <laughs> As we hear Norcrop spark up his. Third cigarette of the morning, <laughs> 25 minutes into the uh, into the podcast. I was actually halfway uh, through the first one, so it's it's strictly speaking only, only two and a half. seconds that I've sparked up two during half, the podcast. Huh? Right, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I, it's hard to describe that as a hat trick, isn't it? But it would be a wonderful story if it was, because um, everyone loves Jack Leach, don't they? It was hilarious to listen on the stump mic or the banter that he was getting when he was cleaning his glasses at the end of the, of, um, of the day yesterday in the test match. Um, we had it right up on the BBC channel. You could hear everyone piping up, telling him he needed to go to a new optometrist and stuff like that. It was quite I don't funny, think he does but, need to go to a new optometrist. He, he played the shot of the bloody day with that glorious cover drive. He flicked two off his legs with beautiful force. I tell you, He's looking like Sanger bloody Cara by the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> that he was. He's he's a massively underrated batsman, Jack Leach. He's not just a plodder. I'm telling you, there's a proper player in there somewhere. He's obviously got a test 90 as well. Uh, every time I see him bat, I'm more and more impressed. Um, and then the well, test... Uh, one more, sorry, one more thing on him. is that he, he, he is brilliant. And he's going to look back on this and go, why was I picked at Brisbane and left out at Adelaide? Yeah. You know, I mean, he's, he's had one of the toughest of the tough tours. He's been, been dealt the worst of all possible hands. And to come back from that, under intense pressure, because when he came in, there'd been that clatter of wickets, three quite quickly. And there was like, what, was it 10.2, 11.2 overs left for them to survive? And I'd sort of given up at that stage. And he was absolutely supreme, superb. I thought he should actually have farmed the strike a bit more and, and, and protected Stuart Broad who has 3,400 test runs, incidentally. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, it finished with the two elder statesmen of the group, Stuart Broad and Jimmy Anderson, seeing England home to a draw. And uh, we've said it many a time on this podcast, but what the hell we're going to do when Broad and Anderson are gone? Um, and that leads me on to what I want to talk about next. So Stuart Broad, again, I mean, a bit like Jack Leach, he'll be scratching his head going, why have I played certain matches and not others? And why have I not played more cricket? Took, uh, took five wickets in the first innings, uh, bowled brilliantly, saw England home in the, in, the, in the final innings of the match with the bat as well. Um, he came out after the first day's play when he'd already taken four wickets and he did a very honest press conference where the first thing he said was, um, it doesn't really matter who you pick as a bowler, 
if the team keeps getting 100 out for 140, it doesn't really matter, which was a very brutal but very fair assessment. And I'm sure the batsmen sat there going, yeah, pretty much bang on, to be honest. And I'm sure it's nothing they haven't fought or said already in the changing room. Um, but there was another thing that I want to talk about. So he mentioned how England should not keep looking too far ahead. And we touched on this recently on the pod, actually, that we're always picking these very, very young players. And maybe we throw them in a bit too early sometimes, which means their test career is in tatters at the age of about 24. And it's very hard for them to recover and come back because they're a bit, they go back to county cricket a bit scarred and a bit depressed and a bit hard done by. Um, now, it is worth mentioning Stuart Broad saying England shouldn't look too far ahead. He is looking after his own place in the team there a little bit. He is one of those people that probably um, is desperate to stay in the team and play as much cricket as humanly possible. Um, but it's a very interesting point. And, and Finney, I want to ask you your opinion on it because England have sort of lent towards young players recently. Um, but you look at, I look always think James Hildreth was the most unlucky man in county cricket. He kind of couldn't get a look in. And then by the time all those big guns that were ahead of him in the team retired, he was sort of 29 and they went, ah, oh, no, he's, it's too late for him anyway and move on. And I, look, I think of people like Mike Hussey, Chris Rogers for Australia. Uh, you look at Kawaja coming back in the side. Is there an element in cricket that you're only as good as your last test match and your last test series? And maybe we should sometimes just prioritise putting out the strongest 11? Or do you think we need to always have one eye on pretty much the next Ashes series? Well, I think a combination of the two. And I think that that takes good planning and good infrastructure to for that to all fall into place at the same time. I certainly think that it's a lot easier for a batter to come in at a later age and make an impact than it is for a bowler to do it consistently. I do think that... What are you looking at, Norcross? Oh, he's on mute. Oh, God, he's on... You're, you're on mute, Granddad, you're on mute. You're on... Oh, here we go. Oh, is that, is that, is that a sort of penguin thing always? been there since the start of this podcast (laughs) (laughs) am I hallucinating what's going on I should explain that yes this penguin has always been here Uh, I'm I'm where I'm sat in my spare room this is a penguin uh, who I named Todd I can't remember why who I won at Winter Wonderland uh, by knocking some cans over once Uh, but yes Norcross uh, I don't know what's in those cigarettes, but yes, this penguin has always been here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I interrupted that. Well, you interrupted because I was staring at the penguin. Let's <laughs> <laughs> get back to broad. Anyway, as, as, as you were, as you were, Finney, you're talking about the uh, longevity and the planning that needs to go into it. Yeah, so obviously there's going to be some inquiries about the domestic structure, I think, um, after this series is finished and the quality of the pitches that are played on um, and whether those are developing enough international cricketers to be able to fill the boots of people like Stuart Broad and James Anderson um, and, and fill that top order of guys who've batted against, against um, good quick bowlers um, because there's obviously a big lack of those in county cricket at the moment because they just don't play, really. You know, there's a few guys around the country who would play a handful of games when you look at um, what they offer and they could have been really handy on tours such as this. So, yeah, there, there's um, there are definitely a few things that fall into place. But I do also agree that you can become preoccupied with looking too far ahead and believing that you've cracked the magic code to Ashes success and then two people get injured in the build-up to the series, as we've seen here, and it's all, um, and it's all thrown into the mud. So, yeah, I, there are valid points in there from Stuart, definitely not looking too far ahead. 
but also there has to be an element of the structure that helps you prepare people in order to look ahead, to, to give you the players for certain conditions. There was a little bit of confused planning, wasn't there? I mean, this summer in June, England fielded five batters of age 23 or younger in the first test match of the summer against New Zealand. And that, that seemed strange. I mean, Dawid Milan didn't get into the side until the back end of England's summer. And I sort of get the idea of wanting to have you. But it's a weird thing to be saying, well, you know, we're planning for the Ashes and then put poor old James Bracey into the side, batting at number seven and make him keep wicket when your wicket keepers have gone down rather than just picking the next available wicket keeper, which I think was probably Sam Billings. Now they've realised that and they've driven Sam Billings down 11 hours from Gold Coast to join the team because everybody's fingers are busted. And they'll probably end up not playing him because Ollie Pope had one really good day with the gloves. So it's, it all feels like a bit of chaos. But I think Stuart Broad was absolutely right. You, there's a, an element to which we're constantly looking ahead. And they even did that within the series. They did it at Brisbane. So they rested Anderson and Broad with a view to Adelaide, which is a renowned shirt front. And just because it's day night, they kind of had this magical thinking that Anderson and Broad would have a new ball just as the lights came on, swing it round corners and win then. So rest them at Brisbane on a green top with slate grey skies. So there's a time and a place for these kinds of things. And I think actually just living in the moment would be an advisable tactic at, uh, right now. And that moment was, oh, look, it's really grey and it's a green top. Let's play Anderson and Broad right now and let's try and win the game rather than, you know, escape with a draw, things like that. I think, I think it's that kind of like really funky thinking that has driven England fans a bit mad. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. I think that more and more the decisions in that first test look absolutely absurd to to basically accept going 1-0 down in already a very, very tricky series in the hope that you'll win the second test is an insane tactic. <laughs> absolutely insane. It's looking more and more questionable by the moment. Um, I do want to move on to some of the other stunning test matches that have happened uh, over the last week or so as well. Uh, before we do, I also do want to ironically look ahead into the future because this series is gone unfortunately we couldn't uh, really pick any sexy exciting new names because it's very difficult apart from the love god Stephen Finn maybe apart he from, should be in there <laughs> yeah exactly Finney's available Finney's available I'm gutted they went to Billings first but with this series gone um, and always after an Ashes series essentially one as pretty miserable as this we have to start you know planning for the next Ashes series that's how English Test Cricket always works they are going to the Caribbeans in the new year. I would love to see a bit of a mixture. Finney mentioned there about it needing to be a balance. I would love to see a few names on that Caribbean tour and a few people get a chance. Uh, I'm thinking in particularly Parkinson, I'd love to see play. I'm still obsessed with Liam Livingston being in, being in the test side as well. Um, there's maybe Bo Hannon from County Cricket. Uh, Norcross. It's just all of Lancashire. It's just Lancashire yeah, you want to play. It, basically, I want Lancashire to play. Uh, and also, <laughs> Norcross. I mood. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> actually, yeah, yeah, that's true. I do want my mood as well. Uh, the other name, though, that I heard Norcross mention on BT Sport is uh, Finney's old mucker, Sam Robson. And I mentioned Chris Rogers a bit earlier on. Why not? Very consistently scores runs at the top of the order. I mean, those are the sort of names, if, it, if Broad's saying, don't think too far ahead. Those are the sort of names that I'd love to see on that Caribbean tour. What I don't want is us to lose this series 4-0 and then suddenly we announce our squad of 18 and it's all blokes we've seen a million times before in an England shirt. 
and maybe we paper over, paper over the cracks a bit with a dodgy win in the Caribbean, and we all think the England Test setup's fine again, basically. Uh, Finney, any any names there that you like the sound of, especially your mate Sam? Yeah, yeah, Sam's a big one. I think that that I like the the sound of, and that's not just because he's my mate, but I think you look at orthodox batting techniques at the top of the order, and he's probably one of the few guys um, who would be set up to do well in Test cricket. That doesn't necessarily mean he'll go and tear trees down, but I think he's certainly capable of being England's consistent opener. I think we saw enough of Zach Crawley in the second innings of this game here at the SCG to suggest that he's got a a good future in international cricket when he starts piecing it together um, a bit more because he's still obviously a very young man. I think Ollie Pope needs to come back into the team in some regard um, and play because he is the best young batting prospect that we have in this country. Uh, and then the, you've got the guys around the setup at the moment who haven't played in this series. You'd imagine Dan Lawrence would be a good chance of playing, uh, at least being in the squad and then maybe playing. But I think when you look further afield, I still think James Vince has a future in Test match cricket. When I, I just think he's got everything that you need to succeed in Test matches. Uh, temperament, ability against the short ball, the ability to dominate bowlers, at times in this Ashes series, we've looked a bit timid and as though we're just willing to be bowled at by Australian bowlers. Um, I think you have to have an element of batting, how Zach Crawley did in the second innings and Bairstow and Stokes. The way those guys batted in this test match um, is more of the blueprint that I would say. So, yeah, there are a few names there. It's going to be really interesting to to see what comes of it. You do feel sorry for someone like Rory Burns, who's only played two tests in this series um, and hasn't had an opportunity to um, to prove what he can do really in the rest of this series. And then David Milan after starting so well and so promisingly and being one of the two players that you would say had done really well here in Australia, um, all of a sudden has had a couple of low scores in a row. Uh, and, and then that, the perspective changes again there, doesn't it? So yeah, this fifth test match is going to be interesting. And I'd imagine that it's going to determine somewhat if you score runs in this. It's almost like if you score runs in this, you're definitely going to the Caribbean. Um, or if you take wickets in it, you're definitely going to the Caribbean. And if you don't, then it's a nervous couple of weeks waiting. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a little bit like the old um, the old old one day final used to be, isn't it? At the end of the season, this is this is a little bit like a selection moment. About a couple of quick thoughts: England haven't won the Caribbean since 2004, so they shouldn't go there thinking that their second team is going to roll over the West Indies. They're they're a difficult side to beat in the West Indies. And the other question I've got, Finney, really, because he's closer to it all, is how many of these walking wounded are going to play? I mean, is, is Stokes really going to play? He's just hit two terrific half-centuries, nah. but please tell me they're not going to pick him. No, they won't. They won't. Cool. There's no so way. They he was wincing every single, um, every single ball that he hit. He was wincing the other day, and that's just... You can't play with the torn side. No way. Mm. So, in that case, it's, it's intriguing that Butler's been told he's flying home or we've been told but he's got a broken home. finger mm. so is Stokes going to fly home because if not is it I just think... to have him around the group what is it what's that no so the, when you tear aside it can be there's a lot of inflammation and bleeding and stuff that goes on when the side gets torn so actually when you when you have the scan if you have the scan too soon um, or you have it after you've been on a plane for 24 hours, then it can't show or it won't show the full extent of the injury because it's covered up by what they call on scans 
signal, which is basically just this white bright light that signifies that something's happened, but it's almost blocking out the rest of the scan because of um, how fresh it is. So I'd imagine that with someone like Butler, who it seems as though he's broken his finger, that's a simple x-ray and there's nothing can get in the way of an x-ray to determine what's happened to a finger. But when you're talking about a muscle tear and especially in the side uh, where it's very easy to inflame it and aggravate it, I'd imagine that they'll be leaving Ben Stokes here for a few days to let that settle down, get a scan once it's settled down, and then they'll know the full extent of the injury. And then they'll make a plan, which almost certainly will be to not play in the fifth test match, to go home and get that sorted out before the West Indies. That That's the way that I would read into it um, from having experience of side strains and stuff. But yeah, if he were to play, it seems somewhat reckless. And then you got and, Be- and then Bearstow's the last one because he batted terrifically actually in both innings. I don't know if he's broken his thumb or not, but they would presumably like him to play if he can. But if Butler's going home, then if Bearstow's in a similar situation, does he go home? This is just to try to work out how many changes England might end up making. Because it looks like it could be as many as five, doesn't it, for the next test? Because you could you imagine Burns will come back in for Hasheep Hamid, who Barney Ronay brilliantly described as looking like a, a schoolboy late for school, running out of his house with his tie skew, if still carrying a piece of toast most of the time. And uh, they also, in that piece, described Joss Butler as having the, the sad face of a laudanum-addled poet composing his latest ode to death, which was, <laughs> I thought was one of the great and most poignant lines ever written. So, I mean, you could be looking at a different opener, three different batters, including a keeper, and... I don't know, does a does a bowler come in or does Robinson come back? And what, what's the situation with Robinson doing? Because it was a shoulder with him, wasn't it? Yeah, as far as I know, he just had a sore shoulder and didn't feel as though he could get through an entire test match's work and probably looked a bit jaded and tired by the end of that MCG test match, didn't he? From having bowled so much and fielded so much in those first two and a half test matches. So, yeah, you, you anticipate that there might be changes in that bowling attack. And, and again, it's going to be the classic case of determining how people have pulled up because it's another back-to-back test match. Um, You'd imagine that's the case. Is there anyone that they'd want to um, give one test match to to have a look at in this scenario, which sometimes could happen if you had a bowler that um, you wanted to have a look at in test? Could you do it? Probably probably no need to, really, with with the side that they've got there and the players who sort of know everything about everyone uh, in that scenario. Uh, and then the batting, yeah, Johnny Bairstow, it looks as though, I mean, it did look bad when he got hit, but it did take a good portion of the of a chunk of the top corner of the bat. So that might have taken some sting out of it. So after the initial shock of feeling your thumb push back off the bat like that, he seemed to be able to hold the bat okay and wasn't not quite ripping his hand off the bottom of the bat every time the ball was hit, which is what happens when you're, when you do have something broken in your hand, you just automatically take your bat off the bat, or sorry, your hand off the bat handle. So, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. I don't know what they'll do with Hamid. I'm inclined to say Hamid plays one more test and just has one last chance, unless you believe that bringing him out of the firing line and saying to him, you're going to get another opportunity at some stage, uh, you know, and that's going to be the best thing for him to get himself out the firing line and, and go and re- regroup and come back. Or you're saying this is your second stint in Test cricket. Uh, you've got one more game to do something, basically. Um, and that maybe seem more fair 
on him as opposed to Rory Burns coming in for one test match in quite a precarious situation himself after being dropped in this after the second match of the series and uh, and it doesn't seem quite fair on him to give him one one chance at the end of a series where he's not played for for two or three weeks yeah plenty plenty of decisions for the England selectors over the next few days but yeah there's I mean I like like Norcross said I think there's going to be plenty of changes for that final test um, I do want to very quickly, because we've only got a couple of minutes left, but I do want to mention some of the other wonderful test matches going on around the world, which uh, let's start with South Africa beating India by seven wickets. I was very excited. I tuned into that. I thought this is going to be a really tight, awkward run chase. And South Africa made it look pretty easy in the end. And a word on Dean Elgar, who um, was getting absolutely peppered. Um, I put a tweet out on the Zero Ducks page comparing him to the Knights from Monty Python. He keeps losing an arm and a leg and saying, tis but a scratch. Um, a wonderful statistic on Elgar. So I don't know how they work this out. But according to statistics, Dean Elgar has faced the second toughest test bowling since 2018. So they basically, they study where the balls have pitched and landed against him. And apparently bowlers have been ridiculously accurate against Elgar. Um, the second hardest bowling he's faced since 2018. And he has been hit on the gloves, the body, and the helmet, the third most in that time as well. The only two people that have been hit on the gloves, body, and helmet since then. Anyone want to guess, if you haven't seen this, who the most hit player is? Norcross? Jimmy Anderson. Jimmy Anderson. No, it's, it's I'll give you Joe a hint. It's, it, it's a top-order batsman. No, it's not Joe Root. Uh, Joe Root was just below Elgar in fourth. Um, it's a very stubborn Indian batsman. Pajara. Pajara has been hit 84 times on the gloves, oh, body and helmet since 2018. Uh, oh, they tenderised Elg- him. I know, poor guy. <laughs> I can't work out if that's uh, just being brave or just being a bit crap, because you, should, you shouldn't be getting hit that often. Um, and Dean Elgar, 49 times comparatively since then as well. But he rode it out and, uh, and he saw South Africa home and uh, even more selflessly finished 96 not out and showed no interest in getting his 100 and hitting the winning runs. He just made sure that his country got over the line. Um, so a wonderful win for South Africa. And the massive upset as well, Bangladesh beat world test champions New Zealand in their test match. And um, an amazing result from them. I should mention at the time of recording, uh, New Zealand have not taken that defeat well and are absolutely annihilating them in the following test match. However, Bangladesh won by eight wickets. And uh, I want to mention Hussain, who at one point had the worst bowling average of anyone after that amount of test matches and then came and took six for 46 in New Zealand's second innings and uh, was absolutely unplayable at times. Um, so yeah. it, has, it, has, it has a claim, that test match, to being the biggest upset in the history of test cricket. Bangladesh have n- never beaten New Zealand away. New Zealand are the number one side in the world, if you're well, they're world champions at any rate. They don't lose at home. It was absolutely staggering, that game. But you're, you're right, the, the response from New Zealand has been ruthless and brutal. <laughs> yeah, it was fun while, fun while it lasted, Bangladesh. But uh, yeah, we'll keep an eye on that test match very closely. Uh, chaps, lovely to see you. Daniel, thank you for getting out of bed so early in the morning. Finney, enjoy your last couple of days in Sydney. And uh, thank you, love God, for, for saving um, Norcross's dishwasher problems and my relationship as well. Thanks, mate. Anytime. Cheers, chaps. Oh, he's a selfless bugger, that one, isn't he? Bye. <laughs> 
Social Podcast Network.